Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib, a podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and presenting complex philosophical, spiritual, and political ideas in an engaging and accessible way. Last year on Michael Moss, the celebration of the Archangel Michael, I released episode 126 about the Archangel Michael. I, I won't recount the content of that episode here, but this is a companion episode to that episode. Um, I'm going to talk about evil on this episode, what it is, how to identify it, how to overcome it, and also what it isn't. Um, you don't need to listen to episode 126 um, to understand this, but maybe to understand my motivation, um, it's good to listen to it, or at least to find images of the Archangel Michael. Um, we find him often as a pillar of red light or uh, standing on the head of a dragon, slaying the dragon with his sword of iron. And it's good to think of the spirit of Michael around this time of the year. Um, and that spirit is something like the inner feeling of doing what's difficult, of bringing out of us what might have been given to us by the world uh, at other times of the year. In other words, as the world turns inward for the autumn, uh, we need to bring from us what was given to us. We need to turn inward as well and find a strength within ourselves to sustain us. Um, when we act with the intention of overcoming what's not easy, we find ourselves aligning with that impulse. So, again, to discuss Michael Moss this year, I'm going to talk about evil, and I'm going to talk about it from an occult or esoteric Christian standpoint. So, uh, that's the intro. <laughs> the rest is just me talking. Um, please do support the show on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. And that's it. Happy Michael Moss. Here we go. So, as I said, to discuss Michael this year, I'm going to discuss evil uh, from an esoteric Christian or occult standpoint, the overcoming of evil. A lot of things are being named as evil right now, and there's a fear of evil, <laughs> there's an uncertainty about love and compassion and the social structures we built to shelter our lives and our relationships one another, with one another. And a lot of that fear has to do with the fear that evil exists in culture, in government, in economy, that those are being seized by evil impulses or dangerous impulses, or they're breaking down from the pressures laid by the presence of evil in history. It will become increasingly our task to overcome evil and to overcome it out of ourselves so that we can strengthen this courage impulse this um, self-impulse, this Michaelic impulse in the world. And this isn't an easy task for a few reasons, which I'm going to talk about why. Um, you know, to overcome it, 
to encounter it all, we need to know what it is and what it isn't. Many people don't believe evil exists at all. Um, and I would say probably more people point to many things that look like evil, but are not evil. And we also have to understand how it enters our lives, and we have to know what to do individually, generally, and culturally to overcome it. Um, so let's start with what it is and what it isn't. What is evil and who is evil? Are there evil people? Are politicians evil? Are, say, George W. Bush and the other desk killers, as my guest uh, Dan Gretton, who is on episode 128, calls them, people who murder by policy, are they evil? Um, is Ellen DeGeneres evil for hanging out with desk killers? Are soldiers evil? Um, people who might have been uh, sort of hapless or needed money entered into the military, into this killing machine, but then ended up killing people or committing other crimes against other human beings. Uh, even if they regret it, are they evil? Are the police evil? It's not easy to answer these questions, and we all have a certain amount of compassion for some of those people I've probably presented on the list and not others. Maybe the compassion ratio is different for you. Compassion to blame or accountability ratio is different for you for some of those people um, than it might be for me. I don't know. But when we talk about evil, it's important to say evil is not a wound. Evil does not come from a wound. It comes from choice. Evil stems from freedom. We tend to think of evil acts as evil. Horrible things that have happened, horrible things have done. But the acts are evidence of the presence of evil, and they do not necessarily make a person evil. On a very recent episode of the show, uh, episode 162, I had Dr. Gwen Adzad on. And Dr. Gwen Adzad works with, uh, she's a forensic psychiatrist, and she works with the people we consider the worst of the worst or the most evil. She works with serial killers, sex offenders, arsonists, and, and she has a really striking perspective on all of this. But one of the things that comes out in the conversation that we had and the book she co-wrote, The Devil You Know, is how many of the people, even the worst, most frightening people, uh, or who we consider the most frightening and the worst, they all have this kind of wound. So for instance, she talks to a serial killer, someone who killed and decapitated some people. Um, and she realizes in talking with him that there is a sort of hidden self that's good and innocent that this expressive kind of monstrous self is trying to protect and she works to bring those two selves into alignment. She um, talks to someone who murdered one of his lovers who breaks down crying in the course of therapy and says, I just want it to be beautiful. You see this tremendous sense of loss that turned itself into murder. There's a woman who burned a building down and it ended up, well, 
killing people and hurting her. And we hear about this tremendous, uh, intense relationship with her mother who has abandoned her. These are all horrific crimes. And Gwen, and I hope me in this conversation with her, go a long way to say, how do we understand but not just excuse or dismiss the horror of these crimes? But these crimes stem from a wound. They come from places where the person is hurt, or as Gwen says, uh, you know, violent offenders are people who have survived a disaster, and the disaster is their lives. This disaster, this wound that has happened, has led to this sort of pathwork and this pathway to who they became and subsequently to their conversation with Gwen. The wound is brought on in spiritual terms, um, partially at least, by karma. So that's something to keep in mind. Karma, our karma, and I, I don't have time to go into how karma and reincarnation works from a esoteric Christian point of view, but it gives us a choice of whether we want to stand in evil or not. In other words, our karma gives us the opportunity of evil. That might sound strange, but um, evil is an opportunity. It gives us a chance to choose a road or a path or many paths, um, one of many paths. But standing in evil, even align ourselves with evil momentarily or making an evil decision or even making it again <laughs> more than once it does not make you it does not make a person evil in fact many people who commit atrocities as we know become some of the greatest teachers of good in their own lifetime not to mention maybe subsequent lifetimes if you want to go down the reincarnation path with me but the the idea being you know, I mean, we know people who were in gangs, who left the gangs and became great teachers to people who both are in gangs and aren't in gangs, right? We know people who are violent offenders who are in prison, who come out and talk to others to help others. People who, um, you know, were part of, you know, were, were in the military and then would leave the military and help people also leave the military or not join or talk about what really happened talk about the exploitation. And we would say that some people who are soldiers are in the proximity of evil, especially in the Iraq War, the Vietnam War, and this is not to uh, denigrate anybody that has done anything like that. This is actually sort of to talk about how we find ourselves, and we all find ourselves, in the proximity of evil and with the opportunity to choose it. But to the extent that we choose it from a wound compulsively, it does not make us evil people. And it does not necessarily mean we are evil or that evil is squarely there all the time, whatever. <laughs> this is why all talk of evil 
whether it's police, politicians, big pharma, corporations, desk killers, uh, or we can go the conspiratorial route, the Atlanticists, the people running the world, the Illuminati, all that kind of stuff. It's missing the point of evil. In fact, to name evil materialistically is to not see evil and therefore to strengthen it. When we simply designate evil as acts, whether that's murder or torture or arson or lying or whatever, we're noticing the materialistic results of an event of evil, usually someone who's standing in evil or in proximity of it, maybe someone who's failed, who's uh, messed up, who's acting out of compulsion, fear of being hurt again, fear of having something terrible done to them, uh, the inability to defy the pain they felt in their history or to overcome it. When we judge evil as the acts that they do rather than what's happening and where those acts are flowing from, we miss the point. And we turn towards a materialistic explanation of what evil is. So two people could do very similar horrific acts, and one might be evil and one might not be. We'll talk about this a little more. Um, from the standpoint, always, of course, <laughs> of occultism and uh, esoteric Christianity. When we talk about evil in terms of materialism or global conspiracy, we miss the point often, you know, conspiracies spin themselves so intricately because they can't complete themselves because they're relying on materialism. So they, they gather more and more and more evidence, instances, events, all that kind of stuff to try to become more complete. But they miss the truth, which is that an explanation of evil or really anything, but here evil, purely based on materialism, acts, events, stuff that happens in the material world, will have to become increasingly conspiratorial and paranoid and shallow in character. Let me um, tell you a little bit more about this by bringing up uh, Doskalos. So Doskalos is a spiritual teacher um, in Cyprus, sort of spiritual master, a healer who dedicated his life to helping other people and sharing his esoteric teachings. I talk about him a lot on episode 67 with Daniel Joseph, uh, who's one of Daskalos's students. Daskalos said, you know, in his past life, he murdered one of his friends. And I think someone had sort of asked him about you know, should I feel bad about the terrible things I've done in my life? And Daskalos was like, look, we've all done terrible things, if not in this life, in a past life. And he said he murdered his friend. And then he also went on to tell some of his students, the thing is, we have to do evil in certain lives to become enlightened and to help others eventually. Enlightenment depends on rejecting evil, in fact, but to reject evil is to know it. One must freely choose against evil because evil, again, depends on freedom. One can't reject something that one doesn't know. So to actually have a lifetime where you become a sort of enlightened master where you're helping others 
in their spiritual development and tasks and healing them and all that sort of stuff. You probably went through a lifetime where you were evil and did horrible things. Evil shows up in our lives, our past lives and our future lives. You'll come back eventually and face the challenge of evil. And this long view of evil, or this long view of time, changes our way of viewing evil. So with Daskalos in that life, we can see someone who's spiritually developed in that past lifetime, but nevertheless was committing acts of evil. So this will help us sort of define what evil is and also say even the people that are evil get another chance because of reincarnation and karma. Well, let's take Daskalos' statement one step further. People who actually develop spiritually will sometimes seek intentionally out of their own freedom to align themselves with evil, which is much different than acting out of a wound or acting out of confusion in a superstructure of evil, like the military or whatever, the banking system, however you want to talk about it. Imagine that. Imagine going through spiritual development knowing truths, deep truths about love, about the spirit, about angels, knowing beauty, knowing the world is beautiful and that life does not end, and choosing against all of that, choosing an anti-human impulse. See, evil depends on freedom. It depends on choice. Evil is achieving spiritual development and intending to align with evil which makes it extremely rare, whereas the wound thing, the confusion thing is very common. The taking up the evil opportunity, making the mistake is common. But throwing yourself intentionally into the anti-human current, that countercurrent, and assisting that countercurrent is rare. Why would someone do something like that? I'll talk about why in a minute, but first, let's talk about the fact that even when someone does do that, they still have a chance for redemption. So I brought up Daskalos before, but let's talk about one that's a little more fleshed out. So we'll talk about Ursula Pia von Bernus, also known as Ulla von Bernus, um, who lived from the early 20th to the late 20th century. Ulla von Bernus uh, was known as an extremely wicked person. <laughs> she grew up with uh, Christian occultists or Christian esotericist parents, and she turned against that and began studying black magic in her life. She was known to kill people remotely with black magic and was hired and offered her services to kill people with black magic. Uh, this is not a person acting out of a wound, but rather someone who had every spiritual opportunity and continued to develop and align herself with an anti-human presence or impulse. I'll talk about what those presences and impulses are a little later. 
But later in life, in the 90s, she died in 1998, a friend of hers died. It's interesting to think of her having friends, <laughs> being the person that she was. So that's something else to consider when we think about evil. A friend of hers died, and she was in bed later, and she woke to what she said or described as a shower of wheat in her room. I don't know what that means, but a shower of wheat, and Christ appeared to her. And Christ said something very striking. He said, in the end, I will conquer all. And reportedly from that moment on, Ulla von Bernes gave up all black magic and turned to white magic and Christianity. So even though she had lived her life in this way, towards the end of her life, she was given a chance to redeem herself and to change and prepare herself for the next lifetime. Now, when someone is not interested in redemption and cannot be absolved from sin or turns the messenger away, it can be terrible and let loose forces of evil into the world. An example here, an obvious example, or maybe not obvious, I don't know, would be Hitler. And I take as a starting point for discussing this about Hitler, not the things that everybody knows, but um, an esoteric warning that came from Rudolf Steiner long before World War II. Of course, Steiner died before World War II. He was attacked by the people who became the Nazis. And uh, anyway, um, but however, he did give this warning about the gas the chemical that would be used in gas chambers before the gas chambers existed. He said that to use that substance to kill someone would create a different kind of death and afterlife experience for that person. Now, remember, Rudolf Steiner is uh, very interested in the afterlife and reincarnation, what happens between this life and the next, and how significant that is, and the ways that the dead and Christ and the angels work with us in this life into the life between this one and rebirth. And he said to use that substance to kill someone would disperse their spirit, their souls in a way after death, that it would actually make it harder for them to reincarnate. It would destroy their afterlife experience and in some ways deny the Christ being uh, its part, this cosmic force, its part in involving itself in that life between death and rebirth. Now, I realize that maybe not all of you even know the terms that I'm talking about here um, with reincarnation and everything that I've been saying in this episode so far, but let's just put it this way. From this vantage point, what we're saying is that if there is an afterlife, Hitler was trying to kill Jewish people 
uh, and traveling people and homosexuals and political enemies, so on and so forth. Whoever was killed in these gas chambers, trying to kill them not just in this life, but destroy them in the afterlife as well. And also, in this way, denying the involvement or the presence of these spiritual forces in their lives. So Hitler was trying to attack the Christ being or these spiritual beings at the same time. So on top of the materiality of those deaths, which is near unimaginable horror, there is this added horror from this standpoint of the destruction of their souls in the afterlife and the attack on the impulses of love and freedom itself in the cosmos. I realize that this is maybe a lot to hear or take on and that we may say but we, we, we don't need to add anything more horrible than what happened and I'm just saying here that it may be there may be a layer of evil there even that is not talked about so evil and this comes from someone who had the knowledge to do this there are people now who are working to recompose those souls, actually, and occultists who are working, um, and, and people who are doing uh, ancestor work, ancestral healing work, and so forth. And even the ancestral healing work and ancestor work and some of the spiritual work with the dead that is not knowingly doing this has a connection or an overlap with this work to recompose the spirits of the many people killed in World War II in this way. That's a real kind of evil. And it can let loose horrible forces in the world, as I said. Rulash Steiner said this thing about us. Look, we've got many lives. We die and we're reborn. And in between dying and reborn, being reborn, we have this in-between life. And if we do evil in one lifetime... Even if we do unimaginable evil and align ourselves with the forces of evil, which always, always in some ways looks like black magic, not just a material condition, but a spiritual freedom to do evil, then um, don't worry about it. It's okay <laughs> because we're going to get another chance. And we'll get another chance and another chance. But he did say, watch out, because if you do it a certain number of times, then your soul will be absolutely destroyed. It will be cast into oblivion. I believe the number was 13. I, I, I can't remember. There's so many lectures, so someone could point this out to me if they know. But the number is 13, which would make sense, because it's an inversion of the apostles in Christ. Do it this many times, and your soul will be destroyed. Why would someone do that? Why, what is being sought in soul destruction? But someone would say, I'm going to snake through each life, from life to life to life to life, practicing black magic, working to align myself with these forces, these anti-human forces out of my own freedom, 
What's being sought in that soul destruction? Well, let's turn to uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein to help explain the answer. <laughs> Maybe an unlikely companion in this. You know, Wittgenstein said that in, in few different writings, he said something that was like, look, everything depends on everything else. So you can't pull a part out of existence and expect existence to continue to exist. All of this is completely contingent on all of this. And that is especially true from an occult point of view. The human being, each one of us, is absolutely essential to existence. You know the NDE experience, the near-death experience, where people say, oh, when they die, they feel the complete love overwhelming love of everything aimed towards them that's the experience when you die of this radical dependence interdependence on you you are greeted by the fact that the universe needed you to exist to for itself to exist each one of us in each of our lives is a universal contingency so when someone goes through these lives including the life between death and new life, again and again and again, seeking evil to undo humanity, to undo the self and drop into oblivion. If one person does that, then there's a black hole which leads to the destruction of an entire universe. To destroy one utterly would be to destroy the all. So far as I know, that hasn't happened yet why would evil seek this to understand that is to consider what evil is in the spiritual world um, so let me talk about what that is uh, because I've been talking about that there are these spiritual beings or presences that people want to align themselves with when they do evil and that's the defining factor in evil acting out of freedom to align yourself with these beings but why would these beings want something like that? As a metaphor for how evil works, and this is really just a metaphor, don't take this too far. <laughs> I was just trying to come up with a way to explain it. Imagine a part of yourself that resists progress, that resists development in your life. So for instance, imagine a part of you that protects yourself from or in relationships. So like, are you the kind of person who at the first hint of trouble or conflict, you bolt, you run away, and you blame the other person for uh, you running? Well, I just couldn't stay. There was just a red flag and I just couldn't stay. Um, or we got in a fight and I just, I, I don't want to get hurt, so I'm out. I'm leaving. And then after a time, <laughs> You notice that you are doing this a lot with a lot of people, or maybe someone points it out to you. But you notice that what you desperately want is to be in a relationship, but just it's never working out. You're always encountering these people who are presenting too much trouble or too much conflict, or they're just red flags. And you're blaming them for it. Why can't I meet anyone nice? Maybe a lot of those men or women or others were nice, in fact, but you didn't give them a chance because of this defense pattern. 
So what happens is that the thing that you say you're looking for is the very thing that you keep at arm's length because you're trying to make it perfect. Oh, I want a good relationship, so I'm not going to deal with any conflict. I'm not going to deal with any red flags. So, you know, again, you lose the very thing you seek by saying you want a better version of it than is present for you immediately. Your pattern keeps you from having it. Your pattern that tells you this is what will help you get a good version of it prevents you from having it. When you try to change this pattern, when you notice it, it's very, very painful. The absolute anxiety of being left or hurt by that person who you saw the red flag for. Um, but, you know, like submitting to the way they want to do things, taking the chance, staying in even when you feel hurt. So you do have that conflict and you feel hurt and you're like, why did I stay in? I saw that red flag. I should have left, even though maybe the conflict is actually kind of mild. But you have this huge response to conflict. You know, that can be extremely painful to confront that part of yourself and to try to change the pattern. It can fill your days, in fact, with anxiety and fear and even a sort of frantic pain as you purify yourself into an adulthood of being with the other. This can go on for weeks. <laughs> it can go on for months. It can go on for years if you fail to meet the challenge. Now, imagine all of that that movement out of a lack of awareness, that gesture that you have, that defense pattern that comes from a lack of awareness of how it's preventing you from getting what you want. And imagine it without knowing that you want a relationship. So it's just the action of bolting away from the relationship that you actually want to pursue or all relationships that you actually want to pursue. It's just the counter impulse. The only person that knows not just what you're doing, but what you want is the other. You can never know it. And until you wake up to it, you can't change. And you'll only see the other as trying to destroy you. The other person that points it out to you or the person that wants to be in relationship with you, but you interpret everything they're doing as red flags, even if they're not. All that exists is the act of running away from relationship desperately without even knowing you want one. So every presentation of it, you run, you run, you run. There's just the impulse. There's just the movement that goes against everything that you would want if you knew you wanted it. That's an idea of evil. It's something that does and does and does, but can never know what it is. It essentially is what it does, and that's it. And then to be evil as a human being is to consciously align yourself with one of these forces. And these forces are distinct. They have different sort of spiritual identities, different names, all that sort of stuff. So 
what evil is seeking isn't just to do wicked things or make money or harm others. These spiritual beings, these evil beings, are seeking oblivion, total oblivion, because on their own, they are unredeemable voids. They're just sending themselves away from what could redeem them, what could give them substance, what could help them purify themselves, and they will never know until they are actually taken up and shown what would complete them. These beings that are these unredeemable voids, or voids that are seeking redemption but can't redeem themselves, so they just do what they are, they seek a kind of alliance. Because the urge is always to link up with others, but they don't know that that's what the urge is. And when they find allies, when they find human beings that want to be allied with them, and these human beings love evil in the wrong way, yes, there is a right way, and we'll talk about that, these people will work with and for the evil presence rather than with and for humanity. So imagine that free-floating impulse that has no choice but to act out what it is. And a human being finds it, or it finds a human being, because it's constantly also a part of evils that it's always seeking. Or it finds a human being, and they start to work together, but the human being has decided out of freedom to work with this presence in a way that will not redeem it or add any substance to it, but rather just to go with it. An evil person is extremely rare, therefore. I mean, evil is not so rare that we don't all get to encounter it. And evil has a desire that is hidden from itself, which is to be redeemed. And therefore, it encounters us in all our lifetimes. Working, not working with evil is not an option for any of us. We all encounter evil. We all stand in evil at some point in our lives because of karma. We all are given the opportunity of evil. And when we choose against evil, we actually help do something good for that spiritual presence. <laughs> so how do we encounter and overcome evil? Well, first is simply to prepare ourselves to understand what evil is and what it isn't, as I've said before. And part of that is understanding that evil wants to be redeemed. It's always seeking. Rudolf Steiner characterized all I've said in a very simple phrase, which is that evil is good that has been transposed down from another plane. Evil is good that has been transposed down from another plane. Evil is contextual. Postmodernism says something like this, but it would then go on to say that evil doesn't actually exist, that only the context exists. But evil does exist. We just have to understand what context means. Context means plain, and contextualizes means, contextualizing means transposing. 
Evil is good that has been transposed down from another plane. Evil is inappropriate. It's unfitting. It's dislocated. And importantly, it's incomplete. So it's seeking a partner. But to become complete, <laughs> this is a weird thing. I'm sure this whole episode has been weird for you. But anyway, to become complete, evil would not become worse evil, compounded evil. That's not how evil becomes complete. Evil completed is good. Evil completed loses the quality that makes it evil when we complete it. When we don't create a positive feedback loop for it, but instead finish it. This is why people saying that there is no evil doesn't help us encounter evil. It doesn't complete anything. I don't just mean postmodernist thinkers. I mean, even people as wonderful as like Ama or some Buddhist teachers who say there is no evil. To say there is no evil is to leave it behind, is to leave it untouched. It's like leaving a child behind who needs our help. In other words, the idea that there is no evil is a generator of evil. It's an abandoner. It's a creator of suffering. It accomplishes a similar result to saying that evil is absolute and can never be redeemed, actually. So it is in some ways a fundamentalist impulse, the same way that people who are fundamentalists say, if you sin once, you're never saved, you're going to hell forever and ever, blah, 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 blah. It achieves the same result as that, saying that evil does not exist. Evil does exist, and there are evil people. And we encounter evil in our own lives all the time. Seeing what evil is, and seeing what evil is not through love, is a great step. So that's what I've been trying to do this episode, is show some of that. Gwen Adsett and Dan Gretton are among many of the great people that they've both been on the show, but they're among many great people who try to humanize evil, to show that evil is something that shows up in all our lives. So we see how uh, evil shows up for each one of us, and we can all choose evil and choose to stand in evil. And then some people choose to be evil although I don't know that they frame those terms. Although Gwen did say on the episode that we recorded that yes, there are actually evil people. That's just rare. To overcome evil beyond just identifying and pulling apart what it is and what it isn't is to touch it. We have to come close to it. We have to actually touch evil. The sword of Michael in those paintings or any image you see of Michael slaying the dragon, that sword of iron is a bridge between the dragon and Michael. When we touch the dragon with the right aspect, with the right tool, we are connected but not overwhelmed. We stand on it and reveal to it what is inside of it, what desires were there, and we redeem it. And when we encounter evil in our own lives, when we reach a decision point or we know that one path feels like that tug towards oblivion or destroying or banishing or harming the other or ourselves, we must notice and do all we can to align ourselves with that Michaelic impulse. And when we fail, we can see that we've sinned in the, in the sense of sin that means originally to miss the mark. We can see that we've sinned 
and we can forgive ourselves and we must really forgive ourselves and to the extent that we forgive others we'll be able to forgive ourselves more and vice versa forgiveness is a Michaelic impulse and in our everyday lives one way to assist the ability to forgive is finding beauty this means by being grateful each day we find beauty we can look at our day and think of all the amazing things that happened Reviewing each day in our thoughts before we go to bed with a sense of equanimity can help us with this. Um, finding beauty can also mean shedding things that are non-essential. Stupid videos online, bad TV shows, snarky comments, luxuriating in despair about how bad the planet is, all this kind of stuff. Finding beauty instead each day. There's a really beautiful line in the episode I did with Philip Hoare, which is the previous episode to this, or the preceding episode to this, um, 164. And Philip Hoare, when he was asked about how he felt about the destruction of the ocean, of which he writes quite often, he said, you know, I could tell you all the things that are distressing to me, but I would tell you instead to go to the water and pray. And I think that that's really beautiful instead of luxuriating in the despair create a prayer to it find beauty instead it's not enough to just see what's terrible and critique it or feel guilty about it we must also find what is beautiful and give ourselves to it and when we do that we're more able to forgive others and ourselves when we have missed the opportunity of evil, which is rejecting evil and thereby redeeming it. It means also understanding that love is present when we give love to the other. It's not just about receiving love. When I give love to you, I know that love is present and I can notice the beauty in the love I give to the other. And I can appreciate that and I can feel gratitude for the givingness of it. So that's another component of forgiving. None of this means allowing evil to flourish in the physical or material world, by the way. But instead, it means being loving as we encounter it and trying to find the spiritual cause of it. The most helpful line, I think, still comes from the Bible, um, from Ephesians uh, 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It means holding evil, not fighting it. I, I like this word wrestle and against, of course, because the name of my show, but a holding, a play, an embrace, to be against something. To engage with power is to be inspired by evil, to try to dominate and kill. We can find a kind of slain, yes, in those pictures of Michael, but we see that that slain is a connection and a revelation of the struggle and a redemption wrestling is a great word whereas just that power play that struggle that can really be part of what evil wants it can drag you into that void of power 
Relinquishing power leads us away from this struggle. Evil can only be held, and generally, the evil that faces us in the form of spiritual presences today, what, what, whatever the challenge of evil is today, it must be allowed to grow somewhere safe until we can meet it and it can meet us. And as it's growing there, we have to respond to love as it grows. And in some ways, we even have to tend to it. There's this trick, that this trick of spiritual containment where we tend to something as it grows because we're not ready to overcome it yet and it's not ready to meet us. What are those containers? Um, what could possibly contain evil without letting it burst through into the world where it could be tended to, looked at, thought about, and eventually understood so that it could be truly encountered? Anything where human freedom is sort of the main principle of it. Any aspect of being human that is based squarely in freedom, conversation, art, the imagination, imaginative play, the, the more freedom is there, the more the container is able to hold evil. Of course, we can see constraints and fear and regulation in the past decade aimed at uh, the imagination and art, especially. So that's a, a sign <laughs> um, of something trying to damage these things that can contain evil. I talk about the containment of evil by art uh, in an upcoming episode of the show, so you can look out for that. We also can say, when it comes to evil, just very basic principles. In the words of the writer Stefan Hartman, stand still, remain open, and stand firm. I'll just say this in my own way. Listen to see what evil is and what it is not. Who is evil and who, and this will be most people, uh, is just in evil. Be open to being loving to those who are even the most difficult to love. Pray for those who have hurt you and hurt others. See beauty so you're able to forgive and forgive others and yourself truly. And when evil is encountered, when the spiritual presence of evil, real evil, is encountered, if it ever is in your life in this spiritual form, ask, how are you, my little brother? How are you, my little sister? And where can you be placed until you grow to meet me and I grow to meet you in love so that you may be completed and therefore lose power and I may walk away from power when I meet you and we can encounter each other rather than be locked into struggle. Thanks for listening, and happy Michaelmas.